If I, if I tell you a bit about myself, uh, I have a wonderful family. Um, I have a, a great uh, ministry, a job opportunity on the North Shore of Hawaii. But um, also some things about me is, is uh, I struggle with depression. Um, I struggle with uh, anxiety. I'm really insecure. I struggle with that a lot. In fact, um, I was telling the last service that there's a large part of me that would be um, fine if you guys left here this afternoon and just thought I was a good speaker. Not even, it wouldn't even matter if you knew Jesus anymore or that you were moved by the Holy Spirit, but there's a part of me that would be satisfied just if you thought I was a good speaker. Because that stuff matters to me, unfortunately, and, 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 and I struggle with that. Um, I struggle with self-control um, in my youth that, that manifested in um, drug and alcohol abuse. In my uh, adult life, it manifests in overeating and spending too much time on the Internet. Um, I have a lot of weaknesses, but the good news is, is uh, I serve a God whose strength is made perfect in my weakness, right? He's not a God who makes me perfect, but his strength is made perfect when I'm at my weakest point. And I'm, and I'm thankful for that. Um, before we go any further, would you just pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for loving us the way that you do. I, I thank you for the 8 o'clock service, Lord, and I pray that you would speak to them. Lord, I thank you um, for the opportunity that I have um, to, to speak your word today, Lord. I, I pray that it would be your words, Lord, that... Um, if there's anything I say today that doesn't make any sense or doesn't sound right or isn't your word, Lord, I, I pray that everybody in this room wouldn't know that that's me messing it up and, and, and fouling it up, Lord. But I, I pray that if there's anything that is said today that rings true in, in someone's heart, Lord, um, that moves them, that makes sense to them, Lord, I, I just pray that they would know that that's you talking to them, Lord. No credit here. In fact, I'd be happy if everybody just... Uh, remembers whatever you tell them today, Lord. I love you and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Phil said, I help um, with the ministry at Camp Homolani and, and a program called Revolution Hawaii. And I like this word revolution because it's, it's a powerful word. And I don't know what you guys think about when I say the word revolution, right? Um, uh, the, the world has seen many revolutions. This country got its freedom in, in, a, in a revolution war, you know, in, in the American Revolution, we had to fight for our country's freedom. Um, the Industrial Revolution was a time when, when production went from handmade stuff to machines started making things. And um, there's been all sorts of revolutions. But when I start, start thinking of revolution, I automatically start thinking about commercials. Because commercials are always trying to sell us something that is revolutionary, Right? Because revolution is about change, and it's usually a change for, for something better. And so a lot of times on a commercial, they try to sell us about a revolutionary new idea. And so it really minimizes what revolution is. I don't know. Does anybody here get, ever find themselves getting sucked in watching infomercials? Anybody? Like it's a half-hour commercial, and we're aware of this, but yet we're watching it. Right? And, and sometimes I, I find myself calling my spouse and, you know, hey, Chrissy, come in here. you got to see this. You can make a tortilla bowl really easily, right? I've never even tried to make a tortilla bowl at my house, but now I'm convinced, like, but it's really easy. If I just had this, right? If I only had a blanket that my arms were free and I could do whatever I wanted with, 
right? It's revolutionary. And they package it as, as some new, new thing that's going to change your life and make your life easier. I find that um, Taco Bell is always trying to revolutionize a way to deliver three ingredients, beans, meat, and cheese, right? It's the same three ingredients in everything, but there's always a new way that's going to revolutionize it, right? Next month it's going to be, well, first we put the beans and then the meat and then the cheese and we wrap it in a tortilla. Try that. And then it's like, now we're going to give you beans, meat, and cheese in a Dorito. Wow. And the world was different ever since, right? Um, but it gets cheap. But revolution happens when, it, when, when people are ready for change, when people are dissatisfied, when people are saying to themselves, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be something better than this. This can't be it. There's got to be a better way to do life. There's got to be a better way to run a government. There's got to be a, a better way to, to, to snap pictures with our phone or do something. It's always about looking for something better. And um, I find myself constantly looking for change, looking for something to make my life a little better. I get tired of the same old stuff, and I get caught in ruts, and I'm looking for change. Now, as I said, the world's seen uh, many revolutions, but the revolution I'm going to talk about is, is probably the, the, the most important one ever. In fact, it's a revolution that's so important that it separates time from B.C. to A.D., right? It's the revolution that, that Jesus came and he started. And this was 2,000 years ago, and, and I say this, it's just as important today because... Um, People in Jesus' time, 2,000 years ago, the people of Israel, they were looking for change. They were dissatisfied. They were, um, they were living in captivity, essentially, in their own land. They were living under Roman rule, right? So they had rulers from a country thousands of miles away who were really in charge of them. When they paid their taxes, it went to Rome. Their money had Roman, the Roman emperor on it who considered himself God. Now here's God's chosen people, people who believe that God has chosen them specifically to be his people and be fruitful. And they're, they're in captivity. They're under Roman rule. People, to people who worship idols. And they're dissatisfied. They're disgruntled. And they're looking for change. They're looking for a revolution. And unfortunately, they were looking for the type of revolution that the world offers with war, and overthrowing governments. But they missed out because Jesus came and he was offering them a true revolution. But they missed out on it. Because it wasn't what they were looking for. And so I want to talk a bit about that revolution and, and what Jesus calls us to do. Um, we were just at um, HIM conference this, this uh, last week. Anybody get a chance to go? Any, a few of you? It was really amazing. Thousands of people. Thousands of people at the convention center gathering to learn more about Jesus, to hear about how Jesus is working, to see how they could be closer to Jesus. And it got me excited to see this, this big group of people and to, to be on the same page, wanting to know more about Jesus. But this isn't something that's actually really new because even in Jesus' day, there was big crowds. Big crowds were following Jesus. He was like a rock star in a sense. People were following wherever he goes, the multitudes, Right? And you would think that Jesus would be happy, like, man, yeah, look at how many people are following me. But instead, he would say something that challenged them. That says, whoa, whoa, let's make sure that we're all on the same page while we're here. You guys, I have a big group of people following me. Let me just clarify what you're signing up for. 
You're looking for a revolution. Let me tell you what my revolution looks like. And before we talk about revolution, I just want to give you the, the definition of it real quick. It says this. Um, Webster says it's a sudden, radical, or complete change. A fundamental change in political organization, especially the, overthrow, throw, uh, 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 the overthrowing of one government or ruler for a substitution of another. Activity or movement designed to effect fundamental changes in society. A fundamental change in the way thinking about or visualizing something. A change of paradigm. What's the key word? Change. So revolution is about change. So Jesus comes. The people surrounded, they're ready for a change. And he says, listen, I have, I have the clue. Here it is. You want to join this revolution? He's saying this to the thousands of people. And he says this. He said to the crowd, if any of you, this is in Luke um, chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, but it's also in Matthew 16, 24 and Mark 8, 34. But Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must deny yourself, turn away from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. That's how you join the revolution. So we're going to break that down and see what that looks like. And, and, and the title of the sermon is, is the revolution. Are, are you signing up or are you sitting out? Because when Jesus told people what it meant to be part of this revolution, to, to what it was going to take for this change to happen, this radical change to happen, when he said that, people got disheartened and they left because it sounded too hard. So let's just take some of this um, out uh, and, and piece it out a bit. The first thing Jesus says, the, the way to, to revolution is this. It's about following me. If you're going to come after me, if you're going to be a follower of me. Now, we live in a time where even I, believe it or not, I have a thousand followers on Twitter. We live in a time where people actually follow me. The world is lost. <laughs> right? We live, in a, we live in a time when people have followers and we follow other people, right? We follow people on Instagram and there are 40-something characters and we gobble up every bit of it, information, right? Or we have our friends on Facebook and we say, what did they post? Oh, I need to like this. Our alarm goes off. Oh, someone posted something. Let me like that. Let me see this, right? And so following, we, we follow a lot of people. Jesus is saying, are you really following me? Are you following me? And I ask you, what are you guys following this morning? I know I follow all sorts of things. I know when it's football season, I'm following the Seahawks. Right? And it takes up a lot of my time. I'm looking at the scores. I'm updating my phone. If I'm in church and they're playing, I'm refresh, refresh, refresh. I want to know what's happening. I can tell you the stats from game to game. I know what's going on. I'm following it closely. If I'm honest, a lot closer than I'm following Jesus day to day. Some of us, we follow celebrity gossip, TMZ, care about what other people are doing, how did Jennifer Aniston cut her hair? Is Selena Gomez in rehab? Is she not? It seems silly, but we follow it, right? We're interested. People are interested. You go to the, you know how I know people are interested? We could all say, oh, we're not interested. You go to the checkout stand, every single magazine is this. Someone's buying it. Someone in this room is buying it, right? Let's be honest, right? We're following it. We're gobbling it up. Some of us follow politics. 
get in the car, talk radio all day, wanted to hear everybody else's opinion on what's going on in the world, how it's, got, how it's messed up, how we could fix it. We're caught up in current events. We follow all sorts of things real close. And Jesus is saying, but do you follow me? Do you follow me? My, my phone goes off for an email. I look at it instantaneously. What, what does this say? How often do you, do you think God's trying to talk to me and is trying to get my attention? I don't even pay attention to it. Yet I call myself his follower. Here's the thing about following somebody. Because everybody in this room is following somebody or something. When you're following something, you better know where it's leading you. You better know where it's leading you. Jesus, the revolutionary that he was, he was upfront about where he was going and where he was leading people. The disciples were like, dude, Jesus, what, what is it that's going on? Where are you going? How can we even follow you? They were confused about it. And Jesus said this in John 14, uh, 3 through 6. He says this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I'm leading you to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's the, here's where I'm leading you. I'm the way to the Father. Nobody else is that. So if you're following me, I'm leading you to the Father. Anything else you're following is leading you somewhere else. That's revolutionary because even in this day and age, we live in a time where people think there's a lot of ways to get to a certain place, right? There's a lot of ways to get to heaven. Create your own path. Jesus says, no, follow me. Follow me. Are you clinging to me? Are you guys following Jesus this morning? Are you running after him, gobbling him up? He gives us his word. Are we, are we trying to read every bit of that and, and taking it into account? Are we following all sorts of stuff? Are we more, are we more uh, apt to get back home and watch our uh, Korean soap opera than we are to see what Jesus has for us? Who are we following? Where are they leading you? Here's the scary part. I said that everybody's following somebody. Some people are really following you. Some people are looking to you for leadership. Whether you think so or not, I promise you, there's people looking to you. But what to do next? It might be your kids. It might be a sibling. It may even be your parents. People are looking to you saying, what's going on? This verse scares me. Listen to this. Paul was well aware of this. And he says this in 1 Corinthians. He says this. Follow, this is Paul talking. He says, follow my example as I follow Christ. He says, you want to know what living like Jesus looks like? You can follow my example as I follow Christ. Anybody in here confident to say that? Anybody say, oh, you want to know what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus? Follow me for the day. You'll know. Not me. But people are following us. People are looking to us. We say we have the light of the world. We say we have an answer for, what, for what's for a hurting, hurting people. We say we have the answers, but we're leading people astray, some of us. They're looking to us. And it's really the blind leading the blind. I want to be able to say, hey, follow me. I'm clinging to Jesus. My legs, my, my arms are wrapped around his legs. I'm not only being followed, I'm being led by him. I'm, he's dragging me with him. Follow me. Grab onto my leg. Let's go together. But instead, 
I find myself following dead ends, things that really don't matter. And Jesus says, the way to change, the way to revolution, the way to the Father is follow me. There's no other way. you got to be a follower of Jesus. So that's the first part of revolution. If you want to be part of the revolution, the only way for real, true change that lasts is following Jesus. Amen? Amen. The second thing Jesus says is, he says, follow me. Then he says, deny yourself. Get rid of your selfish ways. Deny yourself. How many of you guys are really good at denying yourself? Anybody? We live in a culture that is about self-indulgence, right? In fact, we spend a lot of our time thinking about, how can I do something nice for me? Right? When can I get a day off? When can I take a vacation? When will the kids go to sleep so I can get some sleep? Right? I'm always obsessed with, how is this going to affect me? And Jesus says the way to the revolution is to deny yourself. Now, what's interesting is we live in a, in a culture that has all sorts of ways where people deny themselves, but it's usually to make themselves feel better or look better, right? For instance, uh, uh, lately I've been trying to deny myself carbohydrates because they are from the devil, right? Now, I'm not doing it for carbohydrates' sake. I'm not denying myself them to, so carbohydrates can live peacefully and happily ever after. I'm doing it so I can look better, right? I want to look better and feel better. I want to be able to step out of the shower in my house and not be able to have to put my towel up here, you know? That's embarrassing, right? I want that freedom. I, I need to lose some weight. So I'm like, carbohydrates, get behind me. And you know what? It's not easy to do that. It's not easy to go when you're out to eat with your friends or you go to someone's house and you're like, do you have anything that doesn't have a lot of carbohydrates? That is not masculine at all. That is terrible. Um, but I'm not doing it. I'm doing it for me. Who sees the benefits? I do. I look better. I feel better about myself. I'm not sacrificing. It's really for me. Right? Same thing at home. If I'm going to help my wife with the dishes or clean the house or watch the kids, I'm hoping there's something in it for me. If I'm honest, I'm not just doing it because I'm a great husband. I'm hoping there's something in it for me, right? If I'm honest, sometimes we even do ministry this way. We go out and serve the homeless. We go out and do stuff, right? And we serve people in Jesus' name, not because we really care about the because it makes me feel better about me. That's not what Jesus is talking about. When he's saying deny yourself, he's not talking about doing something that just makes you feel good about yourself. In fact, that leads us to be self-righteous, right? I don't eat animals. I don't eat anything that casts a shadow, right? I have a really strict diet. But then we get on our high horse, and it's about us. Jesus says, no, that's not about us. Um, I think about things in my life that I really do just for other people, and it's a short list. I'm not good at that. Um, I use this example. I've, I've shared it with some of you before. Um, there was a time in my life where I did something bad, and, and, it, and I think it, it's a perfect illustration for God's love for us. Um, when I was in the sixth or seventh grade, my mother had bought some ingredients. She came home from the grocery store, and she had a, a her brown bag of stuff. She was pulling out all the groceries, and as she was pulling them out, she started pulling out cake mix, and some chocolate frosting, some chocolate sprinkles, right? And she was setting that to the side, and she put all the other groceries away. Now, this stuff was sitting there, and she, she sat my um, brother and my sister and myself down. There was three of us at the time, and she said, listen, 
Um, I'm planning on making a cake later on. Please don't touch any of this stuff. I need it all to make the cake, right? That's a pretty easy rule to follow, right? Just don't do something, right? She's not asking me to do something. She says, just don't do this, right? So she said, don't touch any of this stuff. Okay, so we sat down. Well, this was the, during the summer, and um, so we're at home all day long, you know, during the summer. You're sitting around, you're watching TV, and I don't know if you've ever had this experience during the summer or times when you've been at home. You know, you're watching TV, you get up, and you go, and you open up the fridge, and you just stand there looking at it for a long time. You don't see anything. You go to the cupboard, you look, right? You don't see anything. You go and sit down. Next commercial break, you're back over at that refrigerator looking again. It's the same stuff. Nothing has happened. No one has went to the store. Nothing appears, right? There's no big bang theory in the, in the, in the fridge, right, where there was nothing and then there was, there was food. That doesn't happen. But we just keep going looking, right? And it was a long summer day, and I kept on going back there. And you guys would not be able to hear it now in this, in this service today. You guys won't be able to hear it. But that day, those chocolate sprinkles were calling me. And every time I'd go over here, it was kind of muffled at first, like, over here. And then I'd open up the cupboard, and there they were. You chocolate sprinkles calling me. And I know my mom had said, don't touch those. Don't touch those at all. But what I did anyway was it was a little vial, a little plastic vial with a red cap. And uh, I unscrewed the, the top, and there was a little piece of foil on top. I peeled that back. And to start off with, what I did was I, I just licked my finger like this, right? I licked my finger, and I dipped it in there, and like six, four to six sprinkles came out on my finger. And I put it in my mouth. I just put the lid back up there, sat down, went, sat down, watched TV. But that taste was on my mouth, right? And so no one was around, so I went back. And this time... I poured a little on my hand, just so the neck was empty, right? So it still looked like the bottle was full, but just the neck was empty. So I poured a little bit on my hand, and I ate them, and I, again, I put it back up on the shelf right where it was, and I go and sit down. And then I'm just like, Fulton, you've already sinned. Let's make it worth it. <laughs> so I go back, and I just, I ate the whole thing of chocolate sprinkles. I ate all of them. And it was quick work of it, you know? It was gone, fast. And then I did what you do when you don't want someone to know you've ate something. I went to the trash and I buried it, you know? <laughs> you know, you start putting stuff like a paper towel, like laid flat over the top or a, a plate. Like no one, there's never a plate laying flat like this unless someone's hiding. So that's your clue. Parents, if you go home and you see a, a flat paper plate, wives, if you go, look under there. You're going to find some Kentucky Fried Chicken that your husband had before dinner. You don't know. People bury their stuff. So I did this. I buried it. And I thought my mom had forgot about making the cake because it had been a while. But the very next day, my mom wants to make this cake. And she goes to the cupboard, and the stuff that she bought to make the cake was not there. And she asked me, she's like, Fulton, do you know what happened to uh, the chocolate sprinkles that were in the cupboard? I was like, I do not know. <laughs> you might want to ask uh, my brother and sister. And they really don't know. They're like, I don't know. Right? And so my mom obviously knew. She's like Columbo. She knows one of us is lying. Right? And so she says, oh, I'm going to wait for your dad to come home, and I'll let him deal with this. So that's what good parents do. They let the dad deal with it, right? Not, I don't want to deal with this. Your dad will deal with it. So my dad comes home from work. My mom gives him the scoop, and so my dad sits us, the three of us down. He looks at us, and he goes, okay, guys, what happened to the chocolate sprinkles? Who ate them? Where are they at? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. My brother and sister don't know. And he goes, well, one of you guys obviously is not telling the truth. One of you guys is lying. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you guys an hour to work it out. And if you guys can't work it out and figure it out, you're all going to get punished. All of you. 
right? All three of you. And at my house meant we're going to get spanked, right? Um, there was no timeout at the Hawk house. There was just knockout, <laughs> right? We didn't, we didn't mess around. So here it is. My dad leaves, and I'm in there with my younger brother and sister, and I'm literally trying to convince them that they probably did it. Right? I, guys, it's devious. It's evil. I'm listening. Look at my eyes. Tell me you didn't do that. Tell me you didn't. Man, someone's not being honest. Someone's not being honest. Do you think you could have done it in your sleep? I know you sleepwalk sometimes. Could you have done it that way and you just don't know? Come on, brother. Just say you did it. Make it easy for all of us. And they're crying, and I'm crying, but I'm crying because I just don't want anybody to find out that I ate them. And uh, the hour comes up. And I don't say anything, and I watched my brother first get spanked, and then I watched my sister get spanked, and then I got spanked. And uh, that's terrible. Is that terrible? <laughs> Pretty bad. But I, I justify it by saying they probably did something to deserve it earlier in the day, right? <laughs> they had it coming to them. Um, they still don't know who ate them, by the way, <laughs> so don't tell them. Uh, no, they know. In, in fact... It still haunts me to this day because anytime my, someone in my family doesn't believe me, like I say something, they're like, oh, yeah, just like you didn't eat the chocolate sprinkles, Fulton. I'm like, that was like, that was so long. It was 20 years ago. Sure, sure. Remember the chocolate sprinkle incident, Fulton? I can't live it down. But I watched them get punished for something that I did. They got the beat down for something they had no part of. They didn't deserve what they got. Now, here's the difference. They didn't have a choice. They were going to get spanked no matter what, Right? They didn't have a choice. If they had the choice, they would have said, this was not us. It was that guy. And they would have gladly watched just me get spanked. Right? They didn't have a choice. Jesus Christ knows the garbage that we've done. He had a choice. He knows, he knows that the mistakes we made. He knows that we're enemies to him. He knows that we, we, we lie, cheat, and steal. And he went to the cross and died for us anyway. He took the punishment that we deserved. He didn't have to do that. And he didn't benefit from it. He did it for us. That's what he's talking about when he says deny yourself. Doing it for somebody else. Jesus Christ had nothing to gain by going to the cross that day. He was being obedient to the Father and doing it so that we would benefit. Amen. That's amazing. And he wants us to do the same thing. The Bible says this. about denying yourself. It says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us, sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for even an upright person, though someone might perhaps die for someone who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, Jesus went to the cross to die for us. While we were still neglecting our kids, Jesus Christ went to the cross for us and died. While we were being unfaithful to our spouses, Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for us. While we were skimming from work and stealing, Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for us. That's denial, man. That's what he's talking about. That's what it takes. He wants us. The Bible says this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ died for us. That's what the definition of love is in the Bible. 
That's how we even have an inkling of a, of, a, of, a, of a thought of what love is, is that Jesus Christ died for us when we didn't deserve it. And he's calling us to that same kind of life. He says, follow me. Are you following me? Deny yourself. It's not about yourself. Let go. Let go of that stuff that's holding you back. And then the last thing he says is, pick up your cross and follow me. He says, follow me. You're going to have to follow. You're going to have to cling to me. He says, deny yourself. And then he says, pick up your cross. Now, I have a cross back here that, look at this good and faithful servant. He's picking up his cross and following me. We're no stranger to seeing crosses, especially in church, right? Um, here's the deal, though. No matter how much we talk about what Jesus Christ did on the cross, no matter how many times we've seen it depicted in films or how many Bible verses we read about it or if we tattoo it to our, our skin or if we wear a necklace that has a cross on it, no matter how much we talk about the cross, it's not going to have the same effect when we hear what Jesus is saying, pick up your cross and follow me, it's not going to have the same effect on us that it did to the people that heard it when Jesus spoke it. Because the cross wasn't just a symbol for them, right? When people were picking up their cross, now listen, when, people, when Jesus is talking to the crowd, they seen people picking up their cross all the time, right? This was not some foreign concept to them. They saw people picking up their cross, and they were going, and when you were picking up your cross... And going somewhere, you weren't coming back. There's no partial commitment to the cross. When Jesus said this to the crowd, pick up your cross and follow me, they knew what he was talking about. And those crowds got thin real fast. It's not easy to pick up your cross. Right? Jesus is saying, put your selfish desires onto the cross. In fact, Romans says, uh, not Romans, but I, I believe it's Corinthians. Let me just see. Sorry. I have it right here. Those Galatians 5.24 says this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and has crucified them there. How many of you guys are picking up a cross? How many of you guys uh, are willing to go and make that full commitment? Dying to yourself. That's what Jesus is calling. That's, what, that's when the real change happens. Right? Here's the thing. We love to talk about being born again. Right? Christianity. And we love talking about, man, Jesus came into my life and I was born again. We can't have dual lives. To be born again, you got to die to self. Right? Can't have one without the other. I can't not die to myself and be born again. We live in a culture that Jesus is the only one that dies on the cross, right? But Jesus is saying, no, die to yourself. If you're tired of that old way of life, listen, it doesn't get any better. You can't get a new way of life. Put that old way to death. Follow me. I'm going to ask for, could you, could you come up here real quick? Do you mind? I'm sorry. I saw you yawning, and so. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I, can, can you come up? I have some stuff over here. You can just stand right over here. You wake up in the morning and, um, you know, we, we start our day fresh. You wake up. Um, 
it's really early if you have to be at the 8 o'clock service. You wake up, and uh, you wake up, and it's, it's like you have a whole new day ahead of you, right? Hands free. What's the first thing you do when you wake up? Do you look at your phone? No? What do you do? You brush your teeth first thing. I don't even do that before I leave the house. Oh, you kiss your wife first? You should brush your teeth first and then kiss your wife. Oh, okay. But here's the thing. I, I kind of look at my phone. Do you have a phone? Yes. Do you look at it a lot or no? Oh, here. You can hold my phone. You can pretend you're me then. Anybody read the paper? They're almost obsolete. Yeah, this is like an antique, right? People see this. So we have this, and we're, we want to know what's going on in the day. So we have a paper, right? Some of us uh, care about working out or the appearance of working out. Like, I have a lot of cool equipment at my house, right, because I'm, I'm starting a workout museum. And so I, I collect all the stuff, you know, and I have it all. I can tell you what it's all for. I don't know how to use it. Yeah, I'm not using it, but I have a lot of stuff. And what's sad is, is that even though I rarely work out, I'm always thinking I have to work out. Man, I got to work out. I got to start working out. Never work out. <laughs> right? Some of us are students or we have uh, office jobs or something. We have work. And so we have stuff that we, other more stuff that we got to hold. Um, we follow uh, magazines, like I said. I'm, I'm sure that we really care about style watch and new haircuts. And so we read stuff like this. You ever on your computer, ever? 